When Sherry Bothell took an upper division class in college, she had no idea it would lead to a lifetime career at Primary Children's Medical Center. But that class on children in the hospital inspired Sherry's commitment to children and their families. We'll take a closer look at what a child life specialist does, how to become one, and the impact these specialists can have on patients. Sherry also shares some poignant experiences that have stayed with her over her career. Let's jump in. Welcome, Sherry. I am so happy to have you on the podcast, and I am really looking forward to learning more about your career. Thank you. I am excited to be here. Oh, good. I'm so glad that you could come on. Um, To get us started, I was hoping that you would be able to introduce yourself to us. Tell us a little bit about where you're from, your family, um, some things about yourself. Sure. Um, I am a born and raised Utah girl. (laughs) Um, I was live um, in the town that my dad was born in. In fact, I lived in the house that he was born in until I was five years old and we built a house next door, or my parents did. And then I currently live about four blocks away from that. My mom still lives in the house we built next door. Um, From a family of seven children, I've been the Utah family. Um, I am married, have three children of my own, got my first grandbaby this Christmas. So that's kind of fun. Oh, congratulations. Um, yeah, it's really fun. It's really special to watch your children be parents. It's, it's really amazing. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Great. Okay, well, that's great. And will you tell us um, what your job title is? Sure. Um, I am called a child life specialist. Um, I part of that also to my title, I'm a child life specialist supervisor. I'm over all the student programming um, for child life specialists at Intermountain Healthcare. I'm also over the education of child life specialists at Intermountain Healthcare. And that's, I guess that's all. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I think that's Yeah, it. that's yeah. great. <laughs> that's perfect. And you, um, you work at or on site at Primary Children's Hospital. Yes, I work right? on site at Primary Children's Hospital. That is correct. I've been there 24 years and um, a child life specialist for 27 years. Oh, that's amazing. Could you um, describe a little bit about Primary Children's Hospital for people that don't live in Utah? Um, like who it serves and how big it is. Great. Yes. Um, It is a um, regional hospital. It is the only children's hospital in a five state region. I guess I shouldn't say that because Denver has one, but um, Intermountain Healthcare serves Utah, Montana, Idaho, Nevada, all of those. So we get patients from all of those areas that come to primary children's. We are a level one trauma center. Um, the only pediatric one in our region as well. Um, we have approximately 300 beds, um, inpatient beds, but we also serve a large outpatient population. Um, we have outpatient clinics for um, in hematology, oncology. We have outpatient clinics for just same-day surgery and short procedures like sedated dental procedures or sedated um, imaging procedures. We also have it outpatient building that serves the community like a regular doctor's office but we have specialty clinics from 
diabetes, um, gynecology, dialysis, kidney transplant, cardiac. We have a clinic for um, babies with fetal with heart syndrome. So when they get born, they'll come immediately to primary children's and have surgery. So great. I know. Um, I feel like we are so lucky and blessed to live in an area where we have a that level of treatment for children. I have lived in other places where I haven't been close to a children's hospital and it's really helped me appreciate the kind of um, treatment that that kind of a hospital can provide. And um, part of why I wanted to interview you was I mentioned to you, I had an experience this last summer with my 10 year old. She broke her arm in two different places, falling off her bike. And um, I was able to quickly get her up to primary children's and they decided they needed to sedate her in order to set the bone. Mm -hmm. And she was really scared. And it it was kind of a, um, she was in a lot of pain too, but um, they had to give her an IV and they had to do some manipulation with her arm. And um, she as we were waiting there, they called a child life specialist to come down and oh my goodness, she was amazing. And she brought an iPad and bubbles and lots of fun distractions. And, um, she also helped explain how the IV was going to be placed and what it was like. Um, it just really helped my daughter Uh, to feel understood and listened to and kind of like she had somebody just for her Uh um, while I was talking to the other um, medical team in the room this child life specialist was talking just strictly to my daughter and it was just so nice and it really piqued my interest and I wish I could remember the name of the child life specialist that I had, um, I did actually ask her afterward. I went out in the hall and I just said, Hey, tell me a little bit more about your job. And unfortunately I didn't write your name down, but no. then I ended up tracking you down and that's how we um, got together. But I just thought it was so helpful and it really piqued my interest into what kind of a career this is. And um, I read on the website that child life specialists, work together with the patient and their family and they kind of use education and play to help prepare families and siblings for what's going on and I was hoping that you could tell us more about who these um, people are and the kind of services that they do. Yes I would love to do that. Um, it Child life is a very unique profession, and I it is a real privilege to be able to do it. I'm sad that it is so competitive because it is a great <laughs> career. Um, one thing I love about being a child life specialist is that we are the only people in the hospital that focus on the pediatric patient and their psychosocial care of making sure they understand what's going. We address the trauma that's happening to them. We address making sure they understand what's going on. And we're very, very lucky to have that privilege. That sounds Um, amazing. And I I can see why that would be so important. And mm -hmm. is that, um, that's not the same thing as like what a social worker would do, right? No, great question. Um, social workers usually do great. They they help the family with other social issues and evaluations. 
Um, we do have two separate kind of social workers at the hospital. One is more for the behavior help, kids who are struggling with mental health, um, suicide, those kind of things. And then they also have social workers that help like parents who need housing, who need resources. They are so overwhelmed and just need extra support and extra resources. And so social work does that focus. Um, and we predominantly just work with the child to help them why they're there at the hospital. We do work with social work, like if things are outside of our scope of practice, um, we do refer them to social work. Okay. So would you, the one thing that I was, one of the first things I thought of was, do these child life specialists have more of a medical background or do they have more of a child development background? Um, usually it's a child development background is our base or another degree. It does not have to be in child development to be a child life specialist. There are certain classes that you have to take that you're required to take. There's 10 required courses in order to qualify for an internship. Um, you can take medical terminology is one I took. Most of the medical that you pick up, um, we pick up when we're working at the hospital because as child life specialists, we work in different areas of the hospital. So we pick up on those diagnosis and treatments and helping children understand what's going on by ourselves asking the questions. Many times I've had to be, can you explain to me what exactly that is? In fact, today we had a patient who was getting a specific MRI that I'd never heard of before. And so I just um, asked the doctor, I'm like, can you explain to me exactly what that is so I can prepare the patient? And the nurse was like, oh, so thank you for asking that question. I didn't know what that was either. And so <laughs> we do a lot of question asking. Um, sometimes I've done internet searches after I've heard of a treatment that, you know, the doctor's going to do so that I can help a child understand. And I need to understand that myself, some of the things if you're in a particular unit some of the medical procedures are the same so once you learn them they can become kind of routine that you know what exactly they're going to do it is different from hospital to hospital just like any kind of business it's going to be different you do the same things but different ways so when you have this how, how many child life development specialists do you have it at a given time working at the hospital um, at Primary Children's, we have about 32 child life specialists that work there. Um, across all of Inner Mountain, we have um, from St. George up to Ogden is our reach right now. We have about 57 child life specialists. Okay, so those specialists, you don't have to work at a children's hospital necessarily in order to, to work with children in this way. That is correct. Um, at all of our community hospitals, which is um, Dixie Regional, Utah Valley Hospital, American Fork Hospital, and McKady Hospital, and also Riverton um, Hospital, um, those are adult hospitals with um, a pediatric unit. And so those, those child life specialists work within the pediatric unit and with any pediatric patients that come in. They also help with um, children of adult patients because helping them understand 
what their parent is going through or one of the roles of child life. Um, I think we'll get to that in a little bit, but one of the roles of child life is helping children understand death and bereavement in um, their developmental level and understanding. And so a lot of the child life specialists at these community hospitals um, work with children of adult patients to help them understand what death means in um, appropriate developmental language. Okay. Oh, that's really interesting. So let's say that you, um, I don't know if you could speak to this, but if you live in a state besides Utah um, and you like you live by a regional, a small regional hospital, um, if you have to take your child there, would it be worth asking if they have a child life specialist? Yes, definitely. Okay. Yep, I would ask. Great. And at Primary Children's, are your specialists, um, do they become specialized in a certain area or certain way or with a certain age? Like, do you have some that only work with teenagers or only work with young children or are they rotating all the time? That's a great question. Um, we mostly work in our in our assigned areas, I guess you'd say, just Uh like if you get hired to work in a business, you work in one part of the business and the same is at the hospital. So we have child life specialists who work mostly in the NICU, you know, with those little babies. We have some that just work in um, oncology clinic. We have some that work on the surgical floor. So kids who are having surgery, we have some that work in a short stay unit, some that work in the intensive care unit. Um, but we do back each other up and help each other as a child's life specialist. We understand development of children. And so even though we may not understand the procedure or the thing we may get called to do, we understand children and their understanding at that age level. And so we can, um, help prepare them, assist them, provide good items for them for distraction or support or, normalization of the hospital uh, according to their developmental level like I work in the emergency room and the NICU just scares me a little bit because I have never worked with those little babies and in the emergency room I I don't want to say like I pick and choose who I go see but you know the majority of the kids I usually try to work with are between the ages of three and like up to 13 or 14 because of the um, a large amount of numbers we get in the emergency room. Um, so like working with infants is something I've never had the opportunity to do. And so it scares me a little. <laughs> sure. So. And then there are those who only work with infants. Yes. Right? Yep. We have okay. um, child life specialists who only work in the NICU, um, only work in, it's called the CICU. It's like the cardiac intensive care unit. So babies that come like moments after birth and have to have some kind of heart surgery. And then we have some that work. We don't really have a teen unit. The The smallest ones are our NICU and our infant unit. And then the rest is a multi-age units. Um, so just the NICU and the infant unit are predominantly smaller aged. So if you're working in the NICU, you're not explaining to the baby what's going to happen. Are no. you interacting with the, the family? 
interacting with the family, interacting um, right now with COVID, we can't really do the siblings, but we would, if we weren't having COVID, we invite the family members into the hospital and they, the child life specialist will talk to them about their child, their sibling. And we have pictures of the sibling, what all the tubes mean, what their baby's hooked up to, why, what we're helping the baby accomplish. Um, uh, introductions to the baby. They go in with introductions. Right now with COVID, the NICU child life specialists, they do care packages to build a, uh, an interaction between home and hospital. So they've set up like FaceTime visits with families. Oh. So the families that you know, because especially with COVID, they're only allowed like so many visitors at the hospital. At one point, it was only one visitor. And so yeah. you have one parent at home all the time and one parent at the hospital. And so Child Life would facilitate those interactions so that they could still be a family. Like they send paper home to the kids or act crafts and they can do the activities and send them back. And then we hang them around the baby's crib and send a picture um, they also provide a lot of legacy building for babies in the NICU because they don't go home and they don't have a one-year birthday or a one-month celebration like, oh, they're one month old. And so Child Life tries to facilitate some of those legacy building moments mm. for that infant while they're there. Because if at home, you'd be taking lots of pictures, making a photo album. And so Child Life likes to do that. Like if there's a holiday, we always do a little footprint and something to do with the holidays so that parents can have that in their child's baby book. Oh, that's so sweet. I love that yeah. idea. Um, so how did you stumble on this career? Was this something <laughs> that you like that you always thought you wanted to do? I noticed um, you sent me a timeline of kind of the history of this career and it's, I mean, it, it goes back quite a ways, but it, it seems like it didn't really get going until maybe the eighties. Yes, that is correct. Yeah, the child life profession um, originally started, um, like you said, way back in 1922. It wasn't necessarily called child life until the 80s. You are correct. And um, when I was a senior at the University of Utah, I had to take an upper division class. And I um, one of the classes was children in hospitals. I'm like, oh, that sounds interesting. You know, my mm -hmm. degrees in child development. And when I went there and I just fell in love with the topic she was teaching and then come to find out she was a child life specialist. And so I just like, this is what I meant to do and took those classes. Uh, the person, the professor at the time, she was the child life supervisor and director over at the University of Utah Hospital, they had a pediatric unit then, and she was the child life manager director over there. And so that's how I got into child life. And when I just finished my degree at the U is when Primary Children's first opened. When I did my internship, Primary Children's was just brand new. It had just barely opened their doors, the, the new one up on Mario Capecchi Drive, because okay. there was primaries that was up in the avenues in Salt Lake. But when it transferred from the avenues to just below the University of Utah, that's when I graduated. So, Well, and I had a fun, I, I was thinking about this also because going way back, I actually was a patient at 
primary children's when it was over on the avenues um, as a five-year-old, I got my tonsils out. <laughs> and so I actually remember a little bit of that. And one of the things I remembered was my mom took me to something called a lemonade party. Oh, yes. Yes. where you um, kind of learned about what was going to happen to you. And I, I just remember, I think they gave us a little mask we could put on. Mm-hmm. And also, I, I think I remember them showing us, um, letting us smell the different flavors of the anesthetic that we, and we get, we could choose which one we wanted. Yes. And I'm pretty sure I chose root beer. That was Root beer is a good flavor. <laughs> <laughs> so I was thinking it dawned on me as I was I was preparing for this interview. I thought, oh, that's kind of an early form of child life. It, it is exactly child life. We still do that today. Um, it's called our pre-op party. Oh. Um, with COVID, we've had to do it a little more. We send a video to the families of a walkthrough of what it is like to come and have surgery. But yes, we do that. We let them practice putting a mask on. We still let them pick a smell to put in their masks. So when they get anesthesia, because anesthesia is stinky. (laughs) But yeah, we like to prepare them for that induction. And yes, Child Life did that over in the avenues. Oh, that's great. I, I love that. I, that continues. And, and that just seems so important. Um, so, what would you advise for people who are interested in this career? What is the path, the school path that they need in order to qualify? You said it's competitive. Um, it is. <laughs> tell me more about that process of, of how someone can be hired. Okay. Um, you can have a bachelor's degree in just about anything. Okay. Um, we prefer it in child development or psychology. A related field makes it easier mm-hmm. um, in order to, become a child life specialist, you have to have a degree and then you do a internship and then you qualify for an exam. Um, There is also, it's called a practicum. They are not required, but it is 160 hours of observing a child life specialist. Oh, wow. And so we offer that at our hospital. So the students come um, once a week for eight hours or twice, two, four hour shifts, and they come and observe child life specialists so they can understand exactly what our role is and see how diverse it is. Divert, yeah, is that the right word? Diverse in mm-hmm. all the different units of the hospital. Um, and then in order to qualify for an internship, you have to have volunteer hours with children, which makes it so hard right now with COVID. I have so many people saying, what if I can't get my volunteer hours in? And we are taking that into account because mm. it's difficult. Um, and then 10 classes, um, they have them like one is medical terminology, child development. Um, you have to have a class of, taught by a child life specialist. Um, there's just a list. And all of these are found on childlife.org. Um, you can click on the student section and it has all of the details of this. And it lists all the requirements. And then after you meet that requirement, you can fill out an application for an internship Like I said, they're very competitive. In fact, we had 38 applications 
for starting here in January and we could only take two mostly because of COVID they would only allow us to take students who live in the Intermountain region yeah. but usually we would take about three in oh, wow. three to four and so it is very competitive a lot of students are finding they have to relocate to do their internship oh. so and is it a paid internship or no they no. are not a paid internship it's 40 hours a week for a whole semester they still as as our hospital is an affiliated hospital and so you have to be enrolled in a college class um, like a field study class to be able to be an intern at at Intermountain Hospitals. Okay so would it be um, would it be cheating to ask you (laughs) like Mm -hmm. what is it you're looking for because of these competitive spots what sets somebody apart Oh, that's a good question. We love any kind of experience a person has had working with children and like whether volunteer camps, um, you know, anything that they've been involved with. And then also trying to have opportunities to volunteer in working with children in stressful situations, Mm. because every day at the hospital, you know, it, a family is at their highest stress point. This is a, a something that wasn't planned. It's scary. It's hard. And so we love that is also a plus for us is when we see that they've had that experience in working with families or children in stressful situations. Um, right now with COVID, this makes it very difficult yeah. to have those volunteer opportunities because no places taking volunteers Um, we do people have been nannies and they've listed that on their application and we do accept that too as one of their um, experiences in working with children oh that's good to know um what what would constitute an experience in a stressful situation that somebody could be a part of and then use that yes so we um volunteering in a hospital volunteering at a shelter, volunteering, um, like there's the family support center or like the, um, what's it called? I can't even think of the word, the, the nurseries, like if you, a respite nursery, things Mm -hmm. like that. Um, finding out if you can support any, um, medical fragile child, you know, um, respite workers, things like that. Okay. So that's good to know. Um, So let's talk for a second um, about maybe what you enjoy most about your work and then what is the most difficult about it? Oh, great, great. Well, as child life specialists, you know, we try to make the hospital easier. And the thing that brings me the greatest joy is when I can help a kid get through a procedure that was especially difficult. And for, you know, we live in a day where there's so much anxiety, so much, I can't do it. I'm scared to do it. And, Mm -hmm. and so I try really hard to help the kids know that just because you cry and just because you're scared doesn't mean you aren't brave, that those are normal emotions. Those are normal things that you go through. So for example, today I had a little girl who was running and hit her head and smashed her finger and she basically almost amputated the tip of her finger off. Um, 
scared. They called me. They're like, oh, when she checked in in the emergency room, she was so scared. And so I, you know, what, for example, what child life does, I come in the room and I introduce myself. I always try to sit down and be on their level so I'm not towering over them. So it gives them a sense of control of the situation. Um, then we, um, I try to just build on common things. I don't go right to the injury. I don't go right to why are you here? Well, what, you know, have you ever been to the hospital before? What, what do you like to do if you weren't in the hospital? And I find out some of those favorite things that they like. And I was able to provide her, her favorite thing was um, princesses and Play-Doh and, oh, dinosaurs. That was the other thing because it was really funny because it was like, oh, princesses <laughs> and dinosaurs, awesome. And so as soon as we brought those toys in, she just popped right up, even though she had an injury and just started playing. And that was part of my role is to just normalize this traumatic experience mm. for them. And then, um, and then after I built that relationship with her, then the doctors would come in and examined her and talk to her. I stepped out for a few minutes and just let her have that alone time to play without people Mm -hmm. bugging her and um then I talk with the staff the doctors and the nurses of what is their plan and they're like okay and I know you asked me what my favorite thing is but I'm just giving this example and then I can so um they are going to do an IV sedator just there in the emergency room and do the repair and so then I went back in and we talked about the IV that she was going to get and I showed her the IV I let her touch the IV um, we don't have the needle in it. It's one I just she Yes, and that's showing. what I remember um, from the then, summer. That was so interesting for my daughter to see how it was going to work. Yes. And so we just pulled through the steps of, like, first of all, why they have to do this. So I, you know, I explained to her that, you know, I know your finger really hurts and we don't want it to hurt when we fix it. You know, we know you don't want to feel that pain anymore. So we want you to take a little rest why we do that and in order to rest we need to give you medicine but it's a medicine that you can't take in your mouth it's a medicine that has to go in your vein and then that leads us to the preparing her for the IV with the prepare preparation I always try to include all the sensory information what they will see hear smell what it will feel like um, we cover the sensory information we talk about how long it will take we um the purpose of it, why we have to do it, like I said, and then also included in that we like to have a coping plan. And we like to give them some control. So I always ask, you know, do you like to watch or not watch, you know, um, and some kids like to do that. We like to give them a job. Your job is to hold still like Mm -hmm. a statue. Um, And then part of our coping plan for hers today was, can you show me how you like to blow out the candles on your birthday cake. And, and, you know, they were from um, not my culture, Mm -hmm. not Mm -hmm. my lifestyle. So I had, I was really careful about my questions. When you have a birthday, do you like, do you have candles on your cake? Because Mm -hmm. I didn't know, you know, they had, they were dressed in a religious, not religious, but I knew they, 
had different mm-hmm. beliefs than mm-hmm. me, I guess I should say. And she's like, yes, I do. And I'm like, can you show me how you blow out the candles? And so she showed me that. And so we talked about how when you get the IV, it'll feel like a little pinch. And then what our plan was to help her when she felt that pinch. And then I give her some control. Do you want them to just come in and get it done? Or do you want them to count to three? So you know, right when that pinch is going to take or happen. And so she wanted to count. And then I always try to have the parents give the parents a job if mm. they want one. You know, where does where would you like mom to be when we do this? Do you want mom to come cuddle you, rub your face, cover your eyes? And then I also confirm with the parents if they're okay with that because some parents have a really <laughs> difficult time yes. watching their child, you know. <laughs> and so we did this whole process and then they were able to come in and do her IV it's really hard sometimes because you want to let them know that it's okay to cry. It's okay to still mm-hmm. be scared. Um, but also you don't want to them to think like, Oh, am I supposed to cry? Yeah. What are you going to do that I'm supposed to cry? So I try to be really careful in how I word that is like, everyone feels this differently. And I don't know how you'll feel to you. Like some kids say it doesn't hurt at all. Some kids get a little sad. So you have to let me know how it feels. And then, she did fabulous, cried appropriately when the poke happened, but recovered the baseline like mm-hmm. instantly. And then um, I was able to ask her, can you tell me what I told you? Sh- should I change it? You know, like when other kids come in, what would you tell oh, them differently? Cute. And that and would be so, so helpful. She told me, you Yes. And she says it didn't hurt very much. And I'm like, Oh, I'm so glad. (laughs) I like to hear that. And then I always try to have the kids end with, can you say I did it? Because I want them to feel like they accomplished something hard, you know, and they do a good job. So my favorite times and favorite things about being a child life specialist is when something that could have been very traumatic and very overwhelming just goes smooth and almost normal. Be, or, or just this is just part of this because they had the education there was no surprises right. and they understood the purpose of what we were going to do and why we were going to do it and and I just love when I, ha- I get a call and I'm like oh mom said last time when they did this this kid was just freaking out he wasn't you know under he was out of control and I had a situation like that today and I went in and I talked to the mom what are some of his favorite things? How do you distract him at home? How do you comfort him at home? And so we were able to, he loves Mickey Mouse. And so I was able to get Mickey Mouse on the TV. I have my Mickey Mouse little doll action figures and Mickey Mouse songs. And we were able to do this procedure and he didn't even flinch. And mom got a little teary. She's like, Last time when they did this, he was such a hot mess. And today he didn't even care. He didn't even care that we were doing it. And so those are some of my favorite moments is when I have the opportunity to provide the education so that a child can be successful and make the hospital experience less traumatic. And they don't have to take that with them into their future life of a traumatic experience that it was, you know, the little girl that... Um, we did the IV and what I told you about with the finger. Her mom says, yeah, she said she doesn't want to leave. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, oh, yeah, you must be doing successful. something right. <laughs> they don't want to leave the hospital. <laughs> so um, do you have any experiences with like over your vast, you know, 
experience in all of the years that you've been there, do you have some moments that st- just stick out or do they all kind of blend together? I do. I've had some hard moments, um, but special, you know, uh, we had one, there was two, there was a family that went snowmobiling and they stepped up on the edge of this, when they got to the top of a hill and the, there was a little oh. avalanche. And so the two of the siblings were in the avalanche and, you know, I was working in the emergency room at the time and they were brought in and I just remember dad being soaking wet up to his armpits because he dug them out of the snow and being there and having the one passed away there in the emergency room. And then um, the other one went up to the intensive care unit and later passed away. But being able to help the siblings, because there was two other siblings, two other sisters, and talk about what was happening with their brothers, you know, the, what the doctors were doing, what they were trying to do, what, mm-hmm. you know, and then when they did pass away, explaining to the little girls, you know, their bodies just quit mm-hmm. working, you know, they, their, their bodies aren't breathing anymore. They aren't hurting. Um, a lot of, we try to do that with children in, in, when it's, when someone dies is use real mm-hmm. terms and, and just that their body quit working but being able to facilitate an opportunity for them to talk and also working with mom came up and she says, it's so silly that this morning we were arguing about something so silly and now I have to go home, mm. you know, and won't have my children with me. And just those have been some special times to facilitate a child understanding that, you know, I'm really lucky to be blessed to, be in on those conversations to help support parents of knowing what to say and how to, you know, they know their children best. I always empower the parents, but we just bring up things like, you know, what are they going to be most worried about or what knowing your children best, what do you think they're going to think about when you tell them that this sibling Mm -hmm. passed away? And the mom one time was like, Well, we kept telling them if they didn't wash their hands, the baby would get sick. And so we made sure that we addressed that when the parents were telling the children so that this little girl didn't go through her whole life thinking, you know, my little sister died because I didn't wash Mm -hmm. my hands. And so, you know, being able to facilitate those, those are some pretty significant but hard times is always, that's the hardest part of the job is just, you know, every patient you work with is in pain because they're in the hospital and things are hard. And so sometimes it can be overwhelming that every day you're working with children who are hurting. I'm always amazed how easy the human body can break and be injured and be sick. Um, so that's the hardest part. Is that. And do you have ways that you work with those that are, um, because you're um over these child life specialists, do you have ways that you help them cope with that kind of, you know, pain that, so they're not, how do you not take that pain on as you go home? That is a good, that's a good question. And I think everyone deals with it differently. We all deal with our own pain Um, We talk a lot at our work about self-care, making sure you're taking time out for yourself. Um, 
if you have to take a day off because you had a really rough night, we'd like to support our staff in doing that. Um, and I was told in the beginning of my career, um, one of the intensive care child life specialists, I think it was just after this avalanche family, and I was having a little bit of a hard time because it was pretty, you know, pretty um, involved mm -hmm. for me. And she said, I just have to remember that it is, it's not my mm. family. It is not my child that passed away and that I need to look at it as in I was being a supportive person at that time so that that I can walk away and yes I'm sad because it's so sad to see you know a child pass away and all the dreams and hopes of the family you know with that child but being able to separate that it's I grieve because it happened and it was sad but I have to separate that it's not right. my child um a lot of us, you know, people listen to music on the way home. Some people go mm -hmm. drink, <laughs> you know, some people do exercise. So, you know, um, some people like to journal. Um, I, we do, I'm in charge of education and sometimes we do education hours and we just have them. One of the education hours we did is had them write down their hardest experience that they'd ever had. And that's something that they carry with them and that is heavy and difficult. And we had them write it on some special paper that dissolves when you mm -hmm. put it in water. And so they had an opportunity to write down those hard feelings and that, that hard experience. And then we put them in the water and they dissolved and to hopefully let that go. Mm, that's a, a lovely bit. idea. I really like that. Yeah. Um, let me, I wanted to ask for just kind of some evaluations that you might have. So let's say um, you, you've had all these, this, these years of working at a children's hospital. Do you have any advice for parents or family members who have children in the hospital? Like you've seen all these families, oh, you know, sorry. over the years, and of course they can't change what has happened to their child, but are there behaviors that they could change or that, you know, could help them as they're coping? Oh, great question. Great question. Yes, there is. <laughs> we always try to encourage parents to keep their life as normal as possible. Keep as possible. Keep their nap times as scheduled if you can, their quiet times. Um, a lot of parents, it's really cute to watch them, you know, like, oh, if you do this hard thing, you'll get a prize, you know, and, and every parent I've done it myself, bribe <laughs> the kids to get them to do what they want. But we also, you know, teach your kid that life is, we do have to do some hard yeah. things in life. And just because we do those hard things doesn't mean you always mm. get a prize, you know, because that's something I encourage parents is let's find a way to get through the hard thing instead of giving you a prize every time you do a, a difficult or hard thing. That's, so that's something that we um, can all do, whether we have a child in the hospital or not, but it could end up helping them if, if ever they are in a situation where they have to, to, you know, heal or get well. Yes. And I think another part is working with the siblings mm. at home. You know, um, I run a Sibs Day class that we have, and it's for siblings of patients who, um, who 
whose kids, whose siblings are chronic. So they come to mm-hmm. the hospital a lot. And um, it's a day just for them to come to the hospital. Of course, with COVID, we weren't able to do it. But to let them experience child life, we do medical play with them. We let them be the doctor and the nurse on a little hospital buddy. That's what, something that child life does as well as um, we have little hospital dolls that kids can work on and do medical procedures. We have art therapy, music therapy. And then we talk a lot about the feelings of having a sibling in the hospital because, you know, sometimes mm. they're jealous you know, that that kid is away from the hospital and they get all of mom's Mm -hmm. time. You know, sometimes they're angry at the child, but then they feel guilt for being angry. So, so making sure that you talk to your siblings about all of their feelings and that those feelings are okay. Um, Some of the activities we have um, color a heart with all the different colors and, you know, why is it red? And that, and that, and have parents also communicate to their siblings that, yeah, sometimes I'm really sad because I don't like to leave you either, but I don't like to leave Johnny alone in the hospital as well, you know, and make time at home as much as you can. Um, another thing to encourage parents is, you know, it, it's, it's every day, like cell phones, we, sometimes we get on them and we don't think that every, like the child is right there. It's just mm-hmm. a world we live in now, you know, because a child in the hospital hears everything. And if, if there's something they don't understand, I think it can be very scary for them to hear their parents talking to family members about their diagnosis and what's going on. And I think sometimes, you know, they, they don't understand what parents are saying. So being careful with your conversations. That's great. I think, yep. And setting limits, you know, just because they're in the hospital doesn't mean that they can get away (laughs) with everything. (laughs) Because that child has to eventually go home. And if you create this pattern of, you know, I get everything I want because I'm sick, you don't want to create a pattern of the child always wanting to be sick because mm. they always got what they oh, wanted when they were sick. Yeah, you totally. Know? Um, that's, those are such good examples and, and uh, such good advice. Um, I want to just wrap up by asking you a couple of things. First of all, is there anything you wish you had known before you got into this career or that you would have done differently if you could go back? Back now, I wish I would have had a stronger base of development and how child development and how that is applied working with children in hospitals because I think that gives you such a good solid base of knowing what to do sometimes you don't need to know the medical procedure you need to understand what this child at this developmental level what their understanding is and what their fears are what they're afraid of what what can you what is concrete to them and what you know like your three-year-old everything's magical and you know if they bleed they think they're gonna die (laughs) you know and teens where they just want they want to be individual but they they need their privacy their body is changing so much and they really just make sure they have that privacy and also to treat them like an adult. I think that is something I wish I would have had better is an understanding of that. Mm. And is that something that you can get in those classes yes. that you take? Yep. Okay. Yep. And then, you know, try to apply it. One of the things when we have interns or practicum students is we have them journal 
And with every experience that they journal, we always try to have them relate that back to a developmental theorist of how, who did this fit into and why? Because we have found that that makes all the difference for them. Okay. That sounds really important because the way that you talk to a five-year-old is going to be different than the way that you talk to a 10-year-old, right? Yes. Very true. Yep. And I was going to say, just as a little aside, we don't have a doctor or a nurse to talk to right now, but I would imagine that they are so grateful for the service that you provide. Do you get a lot of feedback from them? We do. Um, They are so appreciative. And I just love, love, love when I have a doctor, we wear um, a vocera is what it's called. And so they can call us directly anywhere in the hospital. And oh, uh-huh. one of my favorite things is when the doctor calls me themselves because they just, uh, it helps me know that they appreciate and know what we can do. Um, the nurses call us all the time. Um, sometimes we do self-referrals. Like I just look up on the emergency room board and say, oh, they're coming in. They're this old. I've got to pop in there, you know. And mm. so sometimes we refer ourselves and we see, because we can also see what the orders are. Like they're going to get an IV or they're going to have an X-ray or things like that and so we can go Mm -hmm. in that way Um, of course like any organization there's people who will cannot do anything without you and there's people who don't really want you (laughs) right (laughs) well and do you get any training on how to interact with the doctors and nurses um I would say no I think just our internship um training that way yeah. Yeah. Yep. And a lot of it is probably just people skills, right? Yes. And- yep. And, you know, I think one of the things that if anyone could build, as you talk about, what do I wish I knew? Learning how to um, read a room, understanding, you know, glances, being able to communicate, you know, like I can see mom that you're really confused on your face. I think that is a huge one is being able to read the room and understand what you see, what's going on, because a lot of kids and parents, they have non- nonverbal clues as you're talking to them. Like, I can mm-hmm. tell you're really confused, you know? Yeah. So. And that's appropriate for you to step in and say something. Yep. I have a couple times. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, I'm sorry to stop you, doctor, but I can tell by mom's face she's not understanding this, you know? Can right. we go back to the beginning? And and also when a doctor leaves, um, when I come in, sometimes I'm like, so, because I don't go in and tell them about any of the procedures. I know because of my experience what's going to be done, but I don't say anything until the family has been told. And so then I asked right. the patient and the parents themselves, so tell me what the doctor said his plan was, because that's a real good assessment tool for me to understand what do they understand is going to happen. And then I can clarify, and then I can also validate, you know, one of the things with child eye specialists, we just acknowledge those feelings and that they're real and, you know, verbal and nonverbal comforting to parents, you know, I'm sorry, this must be a really hard time. Are you okay? You know? Yes. So, so you're a support to the patient and the yep, family. Yeah. We try to try to, sorry, got my tongue tied. We try to support <laughs> the all the whole, the family as a whole. 
you know, I always ask if there's siblings at home, you know, do they know the patient is here? Do you need to contact them and let them know what's going on? Um, especially if a patient is admitted and they have a sibling at home, I encourage parents, you know, hey, you might want to FaceTime them let them see what they look like, that they look like they're okay. Show them, depending on the age of the patient, look, show them they have a toilet, just like they have a toilet at home. (laughs) Show them they have a bed, you know, and then if they have any medical devices attached to their body, explain to them what those things are and that, you know, the patient won't be coming home with these most likely, you know, so. Yes. Oh, those are great. Those are great tips. Um, Just as my final question, I'm wondering if you could give us your thoughts about any career advice that you would give um, to somebody going into this career or just somebody in general. You've had a lot of experience working with people, with students, with those who are doing internships for for people who are interested in this career or just people that are trying to figure out what they want to do, do you have any advice? Um, I would say research what you want to do. So you understand the steps to get there. It's a really hard thing to decide like, Oh, I want to be a teacher or I want to be a child life specialist or I want to be a salesman or whatever and not understand what's required to get there. Because I think in order to make anyone's journey successful, you need to know what steps need to you need to get there to help you be a competitive person in, a, in achieving that goal. Because if you don't know what's required, then you don't know where to invest your time. And I think if you don't, you don't want to waste the time you have um, by aimlessly doing all these things that if you know, if you have an idea or have a goal is know what the expectations are to be a certified qualified person. Yes. I think that's so applicable and such a great piece of advice. I just thought of something. If, um, do you ever take people on that have like, uh, an advanced degree, like a master's degree? Oh, great and if you, if you do, are they paid? in a different way or is there a different structure for them? Great question. Um, A few years ago, um, the Child Association for Child Life Professionals did come out and say that a master's was required. But since that time, they have revoked that because I don't know why Um, they or they, they couldn't. I shouldn't say I don't know why they could not find the evidence to back that a master made any difference. Oh, wow. And so it's it, there are a lot of frustrated students because of that, because they were like, Wait, yeah. I'm in the middle of a $100,000 master's degree. And now you're telling me it's not, you know, it's not required. And so there's been um, a lot of frustration at Intermountain. You are not paid differently, whether you have a bachelor's or a master's. We, they don't they okay. don't individualize that out. So that's so good to know, because if you think you might have a better chance of making more money by getting an advanced degree and you find out that's not the case, Yes, then it's not, maybe not the thing to do. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's hard because and- it's been such a long program. And like, for me, I only had a bachelor's and there's been a lot of things grandfathered in along the way. <laughs> like mm-hmm. we didn't have, um, we had an exam Did we have, when I became a child life specialist, there was not a certifying exam, you know, mm. it was just work, um, 
hours worked beside a child life specialist. Like you were hired as a child life assistant. You didn't have to be a a specialist. You could just be what was called a child life assistant. And then after you had so many hours as an assistant, you could become a child life specialist, a professional. Mm -hmm. And now they have the certifying exam and the internships that's required. So, okay. And does that allow you, does that certification allow you to work in that capacity in any state or is it like yes. where you have to get licensed yeah. in every any state? Any state. Um, and, and, and I assuming um, in the world, because there's child life specialists all over the world and okay. um, you recertify every five years, you can do that by professional development hours or um, by retaking the exam if you like to. Okay. And just, we didn't talk salary, but could you give me an idea of like, does a child life specialist make on a par with like a nurse or are you making less? We make less than a nurse. Um, Okay. Usually it's harder with Intermountain that we work in because Intermountain's a nonprofit organization. So they keep their salaries are generally lower than a private hospital organization. And so, Mm. you know, Intermountain, we are fellows. So what a fellow child life specialist fellow is, is someone who's completed their internship and they're certified or will be certified within the next six months. Um, They come and work at the hospital for a year and just to build up their professional skills so they don't just take the first child life job that comes along, that they become marketable. And so um, we have fellows at our hospital. We have three of them. And they start out about 17 an hour. And then okay. um, your mid-range for Intermountain is like $25 an hour and then can go up to higher, like in the 30s. Um, if you're a supervisor, you can make a little more. We have child life one, which is a beginning child life specialist. And then child life two is you have so many hours you've, you've worked, um, you've been in charge of a holiday or a big project, um, things like that. Uh, we're pretty average across the board for child life specialists. Of course, if you go to like New York, you're going to get paid more and California more and Oregon, but also their cost of living is more. So we're about average. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And this isn't necessarily, this isn't a job that you do like on your way to another job. This is like, this is a career. Yes, it can be a career. I didn't think it would be a career for me. I just thought I would do it for a few years and here I am. (laughs) Well, and what a wonderful career and a wonderful area to be in. It's just, it sounds like it's very fulfilling. Yes, it has been an amazing career. You know, I love to work with children. I love educating them. I love to help normalize the hospital for them and to prepare them for procedures, um, to build, have those legacy moments to create for them because they're stuck in the hospital. One of the other things that we love to do as child life specialists is just work on normal development. When a child goes into the hospital, they regress. And so some of the child life specialists um, just go in and just play with a kid to help them meet those milestones. Um, 
and also touch and feeling like we talked about the NICU babies and the heart babies is they aren't home. They can't be held because they're in these little isolates or they're, you know, they have open heart surgery and they're, you know, until their heart quits swelling, they have to leave their little chest open, you know, and so providing that touch and interaction that they would be getting at home. So Well, that just sounds like such an amazing opportunity and career. And Sherry, I just appreciate you so much sharing all of your knowledge and experience and expertise with us today. Thanks for being on the podcast. You are so welcome. And thanks for asking me. Thanks for joining me today on Career Chat. Any links we talked about will be in the episode notes. You can find me on Instagram at Career Chat Pod. And if you like this episode, please leave me a review on Apple Podcast. See you next time.